Good afternoon. Welcome to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'll be with you today, and I'm going to help you get through a maze of interesting business news. Business Buzz is always trying to help you at least have a good alternative view to some of your understanding of business, investment, money, things like that. This is, of course, for your entertainment entertainment only. I'm not a certified financial planner. I am a CPA. In fact, today I've got a special section of the show that we're going to actually go through a quick tax overview lesson. I hope you enjoy that. One thing that's interesting about being a tax preparer for a living is pretty much everyone you meet files a tax return. So if you are at a cocktail party and you don't know what your subject ought to be when you meet somebody new, everybody usually has a story or a question or something about their taxes or their tax filings or their business and how they can reduce their taxes. That's one thing I really like about being a tax professional. It's something that pretty much affects everybody. And uh, so in that respect, it's just a, uh, it's a real kind of way to get your foot in the door whenever you're talking to someone because almost everyone can relate to some sort of tax question or tax issue. So, but I've got a lot of, I got a lot of interesting information for you today. So sit back and relax. I'm glad you have a little time to spend with me. It's another warm Chico day. July is always a nice month in Chico and this one is shaping up to, I think, be one of the hotter ones from what I can tell. I haven't looked at any of the record books, but I know the individual temperatures aren't setting actual records, but in my opinion, if you took the average temperature over the last couple of weeks, you'd be looking at some sort of record, I would think, but I'll leave that up to the to the meteorologists, as they call themselves. Getting back to business, the state of California has a lot of interesting businesses. I actually grew up in the East Bay when I was, I believe it was probably when I was in grammar school, they opened a big GM plant in Fremont, California, which was south of where I grew up, but I used to drive by there all the time because the 880 freeway, we used to call it the Nimitz freeway, we took it a lot whenever we went to San Jose, and I would drive by this giant GM assembly plant quite often. That is now the home of the Tesla car plant, and as you know, if you've been listening to Business Buzz, you know I have a fascination with Tesla and Elon Musk just because I've never seen, I've just never seen a business the way this one seems to be going. And if I'm right, I don't know. I don't see where this business has that big of a future. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they'll prove me wrong. But the article I wanted to go over with you today to start out is titled, Why Are Thousands of Teslas Sitting in a Field in California? If you remember the last time we talked about this, I pointed out the fact that they had promised by the end of June to be putting out 5,000 cars per week as their goal and their requirement to make sure that they were on schedule to get all these cars built. 
And there was some issues there when they set up a tent next to their factory to finish off the production line to get the 5,000 out. And they called it the Factory Gate 5000 Model 3s. And people were asking, well, what does Factory Gate mean? So let me just read you part of this article here. When Tesla finally met its Model 3 production run rate target, astute investors and analysts pointed out the use of the word factory gated in the company's press release. Not only did we factory gate 5000 Model 3s, but we also achieved the S and X production target for a combined 7,000 vehicle week with an exclamation point, Musk wrote in an email to his staff that week. It was a term that Tesla hadn't used before. Now, thanks to a couple of sleuths on Twitter, we may have just found out what the term means. And that term they're talking about is this thing called factory-gated Teslas. Twitter Tesla sleuth I Spy Tesla, with the help of others, has been trying to figure out exactly where all these vehicles are winding up. I Spy Tesla founds that it appears that thousands of vehicles are being stored, quote, in a field, 500 East Louise Avenue, Lathrop, California, 95330. And then it goes on to say, according to public records, the property was also available for lease just six months ago suggesting that Tesla leased it recently. Why? Perhaps as a place to temporarily dump cars that should be off the books. Or as some said, there's so much inventory here, it's crazy. And then one other guy says, it's like a sea of Model S's, 3's, and X's. Cars are coming in, but not coming out. It says, additional video shows the Twitter user's initial approach to the property which appears to have a gate with a warning sign that the premises are being video monitored. The Twitter user notes that trucks seem to be bringing cars in but not out. Follow-up tweets noted that there's no real activity in the inventory lot before noting that some cars are coming out. Meanwhile, as another Twitter user noted, another just as vast pile of Model 3s can be found near the Burbank Hollywood Airport. So it appears that these Teslas that are supposedly being finished are actually being stored in a couple of locations here in California. And one commenter on this thing was, uh, Tesla is hiding Model 3s in an industrial place, which is apparently somewhere in California. Why not deliver them? Demand issues. So anyway, the article goes on to say, but why stash the cars there? Is it to optimize networking capital and give investors and auditors the impression of more liquidity than is actually available? Surely this will or should be one of the boring questions asked on the company's conference if PricewaterhouseCoopers doesn't ask first. Well, that would be their CPA auditors. Meanwhile, Tesla already had to fend off a downgrade from Needham this morning who warned that Model 3 refunds were moving faster than deposits something we documented here over a month ago. Based on our checks, refunds are outpacing deposits as cancellations accelerate. The reasons are varied. Extended wait times, the expiration of the $7,500 tax credit, 
and unavailability of the $35,000 base model. This morning, Tesla refuted this, however, with discovery of this new lot. Tesla's PR spin job for today may only be getting started. So that's my little follow-up for the Tesla inventory that's been cranked out of the Fremont production factory that I used to drive by as a kid when it was General Motors. And I find it very interesting to follow the Tesla story. And remember, the reason I point this out to you on Business Buzz is that you may very well own Tesla to stock. If you have a retirement plan or a, a account at your broker and you've got stocks and mutual funds, there's a good chance the mutual funds you own own Tesla, so you indirectly own it. Or you might own Tesla outright if you've had a broker that was uh, helping you get the, uh, you know, helping you decide what to invest in. Now, the next article I wanted to share a little bit with you is from the Wall Street Journal. Tesla is seeking cash from its suppliers. Tesla has asked some of its suppliers to refund a portion of what the automakers already spent to help it become profitable, the Wall Street Journal reports. The plea raises questions about the company's cash position, which has dwindled following some production issues. A memo provided to the newspaper shows Tesla requested the supplier return what it calls a meaningful amount of money on its payments since 2016. The memo said all suppliers were being asked to help the company become profitable. The electric car company declined to comment on the specific memo, but confirmed that it is seeking price reductions from suppliers for projects, some of which date back that far. Well, that's almost two years ago now. Supply chain consultants told the paper that sometimes automakers will demand a reduction in price for a current contract going forward or use leverage of the promise of a new deal to get upfront savings. But they say it isn't unusual for an automaker to ask for a refund for past work. Well, wouldn't that be interesting? Maybe I could call my dentist or something and ask him to send back part of the money that I paid him two years ago for what he gave me. I've never, it's never occurred to me, but I guess this is another brilliant innovation by Mr. Musk and Tesla. It's simply ludicrous, and it just shows that Tesla is desperate right now. Dennis Virag a manufacturing consultant who has worked in the automotive industry for 40 years, told the paper. Tesla has been burning cash at a rate of about $1 billion a quarter and finished the first quarter with $2.7 billion in cash on hand. But it has struggled to balance its desire for growth with the expense of launching new vehicles and building out infrastructure to support its business. Well, that's not a good sign. If you're invested in a company that is calling, writing a letter to suppliers, asking them to send back money that they've received from that company over the last couple of years to go into making cars, that to me is, that's, that's sort of a, that's a bit of a red flag. That's all I'll, that's all I'll say about that. It sounds like a bit of a red flag. 
My next topic, I haven't really visited this lately with you very much. I think it's something you need to be aware of. I think it's important, and some, some of you may be directly involved in this. A lot of you may be indirectly involved. I would consider myself indirectly involved because I'm not a retired person. I don't have a government pension, but a lot of my clients do. If they were to have trouble with their government pension income, they might have trouble affording things like tax preparation service and paying me to help them. In that respect, I'm indirectly involved in this next topic. I haven't talked about it much lately, but it's always around. It's sort of like one of those background noises where you don't really notice the air conditioner humming until you till it stops. And then you realize how nice it is not to not hear it anymore. That's kind of like this topic. It just, it's always there. It's always there. And you might not want to think about it, but it's always there. The title of this article is called Public Sector Pensions. The the Parasite Devours Its Host. And this is authored by a man named John Rubino via the dollarcollapse.com. The Wall Street Journal recently highlighted a better method of analyzing the impact of public sector pensions on state and local budgets. And the subtitle here on this section is called Why Your Pension is Doomed. A new study shows that benefits are rising faster than GDP in most states. Now remember, GDP is gross domestic product. The countries have gross domestic products, and of course each state would have its own gross domestic product. We were talking a week or so ago, I was telling you about the debt levels going up to $240 trillion around the world, while gross domestic product is not keeping up with the rate of debt increase. This is sort of the similar thing. These states have pension debt increasing all the time without a corresponding increase in gross domestic product. In other words, they've got outgo, but they're not going to have the income to make it work. This is a problem that everybody faces. It's definitely a problem that is going to add, exacerbate any kind of issues going forward. Most of these pensions count on good rates of return from things like treasury bonds, but with low interest rate environment, they can't make a safe return, so they're gambling on things like Tesla stock. I'll be right back after this first break, and I'm going to continue talking about the public sector pensions and the trouble those are going to cause. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. Stay tuned to Business Buzz. I'll be right back. Rock House Dining and Espresso, now featuring Jamming for Jesus, a Christian jam night, Saturday, 5 to 8 p.m., Rock House is located only two miles past the hardware store in Yankee Hill on Highway 70. Originally built in 1937, Rock House has served as a restaurant, tavern, shower house, barbershop, a gas station, and a cafe. Serving yummy and creative vegetarian offerings as well as a fantastic Reuben and French dip sandwich. Yum! Don't forget the awesome iced coffee and fruit smoothies. Rock House is looking forward to hosting more Christian musicians. Enjoy dinner specials every Saturday night at Rock House Dining and Espresso. That's Rock House Dining and Espresso on Highway 70 in Yankee Hill. 
How are you going to get to the Sacramento airport? Use North Valley Shuttle. It's easy online at NorthValleyShuttle.com. Don't be that person who bugs their friends or family to take you. Book online right now at NorthValleyShuttle.com. North Valley Shuttle has added new departure and arrival times each week for your convenience. Serving Chico, Paradise, Oroville, Gridley, Live Oak, and Yuba City, Marysville. North Valley Shuttle gets you there quickly and safely. Leave the car at home and let NorthValleyShuttle.com do the driving. License PSC 20791. Welcome back to Business Buzz. This is Harold Littlejohn, CPA. Where were we today? Oh, yes. The good old pension bubble. I was explaining that pensions are rising faster than GDP. And I'm just going to continue from this article under the section, Why Your Pension is Doomed. Pension costs are soaring across the country and government unions blame politicians for underfunding benefits. Low, if only taxes were higher, state budgets would be peachy. The real problem, as a new study shows, is that politicians have promised over-generous benefits. In a novel analysis, the Illinois-based policy outfit Wirepoints compared the growth rate of state pension liabilities relative to state GDP and fund assets. Most studies have examined unfunded pension liabilities, which is the difference between current assets and the present value of owed benefits. But this obfuscates the excessive pension promises that politicians have made. Then this article actually has graphs, and it just shows the gigantic spread between the pension the unfunded pension, the accrued pension liabilities versus the GDPs, and it it really doesn't look good. It shows New Jersey. It's got a 176% increase in accrued pension liabilities and only a 41% increase in GDP. New Hampshire, accrued pension liabilities up 175%, GDP up 51%. Oh, this is this is not looking good. Illinois, accrued pension benefit liabilities up 162%, GDP up 50%. Now, Nevada, you'd think they're doing so well, right? Accrued pension liabilities in Nevada, 146% up, and GDP's only up by 61%. And then it goes on to show Minnesota also. So that this is the basis of the problem. According to the study, accrued liabilities, how much states are on the hook for, between 2003 and 2016, grew more than 50% faster than the economies in 28 states and more than twice as fast as GDP in 12 states. Leading the list are the usual suspects of New Jersey, Illinois, Connecticut, New Hampshire, and Kentucky. Between 2003 and 2016, New Jersey's pension liability ballooned 176%. Unions blame lawmakers for not socking away more money years ago, though lower pension payments helped them bargain for higher pay. The reality is that New Jersey's pension funds 
would be broke even had politicians squirreled away billions more. Ditto for Illinois, where the pension liability has grown by 8.8% annually over the last 30 years. Yet when the Illinois Supreme Court in 2015 blocked state pension reforms, the judges rebuked politicians for inadequately funding pensions. The solution, according to unions, is always to raise taxes. But no tax hike is ever enough because benefits keep growing faster than revenues. New Jersey recently raised corporate and income taxes on high earners, but the state would need to spend billions more on pensions each year to adequately finance promised benefits. Illinois' Democratic legislature last year overrode GOP Governor Bruce Rauner's veto of a corporate and income tax hike. Yet the Democratic candidate for governor, J.B. Pritzker, and unions are now campaigning to kill the state's flat tax rate and raise taxes again. Stanford University lecturer David Crane has calculated that every additional penny that California schools have received from the state's 2012 millionaires tax, which raised the top individual rate to 13.3% from 10.3, has gone toward retirement benefits. The only salve to the state pension woes, as the Wirepoint study notes, is to rein in current worker benefits. And the, the promise can be made and was made a long time ago by FDR, among many others, that the whole idea of public sector unions is misguided. As FDR said, it is impossible to bargain collectively with the government because when government unions strike, they strike against taxpayers, which he considered unthinkable and intolerable. We're seeing the truth of this now as public sector unions use their growing clout to convince politicians to write checks that taxpayers can't cover. The inevitable result of a parasite that grows faster than its host is the death of the host. In this case, that means municipal bankruptcies on a vast scale in the next recession default on hundreds of billions of municipal bonds necessitating a government bailout culminating in a system-wide crisis that pops the everything bubble here and around the world. Unless something blows up first. These days it's not if, but when and in what order the world's unsustainable imbalances tip over. Well, now, remember that I always try to stay positive on Business Buzz, and the positive I take away from these kind of articles is this. If you are now aware of the dangers of some of these crazy numbers that are happening all around the world, you can be forearmed. Remember that expression, to be forewarned is to be forearmed? You are in a position right now to do something about it, to ensure that your pension or your money does not go away into thin air and evaporate. As I pointed out last week, in the crash of 1929, the stock values went down 90% in about three years, but it took 25 years for them to climb back to the level they were at before. That's why I'm always, I'm always encouraging you to be very careful with the money you've managed to save. Don't let it evaporate. Make sure that part of your money is in physical gold, something real, 
maybe land that you don't have a mortgage on, just make sure that part of your money is in something real. And the easiest way to do that is physical gold and physical silver at at bargain prices. And I've explained to you many times before on Business Buzz why those metals are on bargain sale all the time. It's because if everybody woke up to the fact of how cheap they are and started buying them, the faith in the paper dollars would go away. I also pointed out recently that this is the first time in the world where there are zero paper currencies available with anything backing them other than what they call the full faith and credit. And that's the full faith in the governments that are printing that money. There's nothing There's nothing real about that paper dollar in your wallet. It's only worth a dollar if somebody agrees that it's worth a dollar. Before we come up to the bottom of the hour break, I want to get started on another article. This is from Egon von Greyers, one of my favorite commentators. You can look him up at a website called goldswitzerland.com. It was interesting. I was listening to an interview with him on YouTube yesterday while I was doing a little work. His clients have been buying gold, not as an investment, but as an insurance policy against the paper money problem since the early 2000s, back when gold was like $250 an ounce. His clients who are super wealthy, the smallest amount that any of those type clients keep in physical gold is 20% of their net worth. And some of them go up to 50%. That's how serious some of these rich people take this whole problem that we have. The paper money problem is a big problem. The title of this article is The U.S. is Dead Broke. And there's a quote at the start of this from Solomon. The rich rules over the poor and the borrower becomes the lender's slave. I'm coming up on that bottom of the hour break. Stay tuned with Business Buzz. We're going to get into some more interesting article discussion. I'm going to educate you a little more. I'm also going to give you a quick tax lesson overview since I'm a tax professor. And we will go over some income tax basics. I look forward to seeing you after this break. This is Harold Littlejohn, CPA. Stay tuned to Business Buzz. This book is either the Word of God or it's not, one way or another. The story's either true or it's not. The interesting thing is this Bible could be verified by extra-biblical history. This is the most accurate account of ancient history in the world, proven to be so by the facts, not by hearsay or myth or some preacher telling you. It's an amazing thing. David Hawking shares more on the amazing power and accuracy of God's Word this week on Hope For Today. Tune in for Hope for Today, weekdays at 8 a.m. here on KKXX. Hello, I'm Gary Crossland. Everything in the Old Testament points forward to Jesus. Everything in the epistles points backward to Jesus. That's why I encourage people to read the words of Jesus every day. This is where emotional and spiritual health come from. 
Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. But where do you read his commandments but in the Gospels? Now I know that it's easy to get a little confused when jumping between one Gospel and the next, which is why I wrote the Merged Gospels. It's where all four Gospels are literally translated from the Greek, broken down word by word, and merged back together into one beautiful chronological story with not one word of scripture removed. You can't buy it in stores. It's available only online at mergedgospels.com. It's great for new believers, for personal devotions, and for group studies. There's also an audiobook. And as always, you get to name the price. Just go to mergedgospels.com. I used to watch like tons of TV, and now I can turn the radio on and just listen to that all day. It's a life-changing station. Your life has significance and purpose. Oh, it gives you hope. It just lifts your day up. Jesus said that you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. That includes truths about who you are and how God sees you. Our programming helps you grasp those truths. I listen to it when I go to work, and it helps make the day a better day. You found Life Radio, KKXX, AM and FM. Welcome back to Business Buzz. Harold Littlejohn, CPA, at your service. If you ever need any help with taxes, you need a second opinion, you need someone to review something, you can call me 895-3353. I offer a free initial consultation. It might be over the telephone. It might be in person. We can, we can discuss whatever problems you may be having. Sometimes the problems seem worse than they really are. There's ways to fix most, most things. I was reading from an article called The U.S. is Dead Broke. And here's the way he presents, Egon von Greyers, here's the way he presents his little uh, allegory. This is the story about Detter, a newborn American baby. Detter has just been born into the greatest economy in the world, a land full of promises and opportunities. This is what his parents tell him. But unbeknownst to debtor, he has been giving a very bad start in life because the parents haven't told debtor and how could they since they are not aware themselves that he starts life with a massive debt burden that will grow manifold during his lifetime. Subtitle, The American Debt Slave. King Solomon's words will ring true for almost every American born today. The average American is a debt slave already at birth, and by the time he dies, his debt will have increased exponentially, thus passing on an even bigger debt and greater enslavement to the next generation. This is a vicious circle that has gone on for just over 100 years. A very small elite has become incredibly wealthy, and the masses have become enslaved by private and government debt. For the majority of people, it will be impossible to extricate themselves from this massive debt stone around their neck. Instead, they will add to the debt by taking on more debt. The next subtitle is U.S. Debt Going from $21 trillion to $43 quadrillion. But the government will also do their part. They will at least double the national debt every eight years, as they have been doing for several decades. 
starting from $21 trillion debt today and assuming the debtor will live until 88 years old, a doubling of the debt every eight years would lead to a 43 quadrillion federal debt in 2106. Most of us will, of course, not be around to check that forecast, but since it is just an extrapolation of long-term trends, it is difficult to argue with, although a lot can, of course, happen in 88 years. It's difficult to argue with. Even the 43 quadrillion U.S. debt in 2106 could be conservative. Higher deficits and higher interest rates, both being likely, could multiply the 43 quadrillion many, many times. I am sure that no one expected in 1981 when Reagan started with a $900 billion debt that the U.S. would have gone up 23 times to $21 trillion 37 years later. No one likes forecasting the truth because the truth looks horrific when it comes to all the mismanaged economies in the world. But the federal debt is, of course, only a smaller portion of the total debt and liabilities that debtor and his fellow Americans are responsible for. Next subheading, U.S. unfunded liabilities, $220 trillion. The biggest burden will be the unfunded liabilities of Medicare and Social Security. Professor Lawrence Kotlikoff has calculated that these amount to $220 trillion. That is 10 times current federal debt and a liability that is unlikely to ever be funded. The best solution would, of course, be a miraculous increase in prosperity and tax revenues. Very unlikely. Another alternative would be that debtor and his young friends spend all their working life just to pay the pension and medical costs of the older generation. Unlikely, plus it would lead to a revolution. More likely is that the government will just create more debt to pay for these commitments. We know, of course, that a debt problem will not be solved by incurring more debt. And whatever additional money the government will create out of thin air will have zero value and therefore also zero effect. So that leaves the option that there will be virtually no medical care or pension for debtor and his fellow Americans. This will lead to civil unrest as well as poverty, famine, and disease. Not a very desirable outcome, but sadly, very likely. If we take the U.S. population of 325 million, debtor will be responsible for his share of all outstanding government debt and unfunded liabilities. That means one 325 millionth of 21 trillion or $65,000 of debt is what debtor starts off with as a baby. He clearly didn't deserve that and nor can or will he ever repay it. Debtor also needs to take responsibility for his share of unfunded liabilities, which is one 325 millionth of $220 trillion or $650,000. His parents never told him this because they were brought up in an era when the government just printed or borrowed money whenever a need arose. So in total, debtor owes $715,000. The parents never understood that their government constantly spent money that didn't exist. They clearly hadn't read Charles Dickens' David Copperfield and had, and nor had their government. Here's a quote from Charles Dickens' David Copperfield. Annual income, 20 pounds. Annual expenditure, 19 pounds. 
19 shillings and 6 pence. Result, happiness. Annual income, 20 pounds. Annual expenditure, 20 pounds, odd, and 6. Result, misery. Next subheading is the primary aim of a government is to be re-elected. The government never told debtors' parents that it always spent more money than it had and that this eventually would lead to misery for the U.S. and for virtually every American. The government could, of course, not tell debtors' parents and the U.S. people that it totally mismanaged the economy. The principal aim of the U.S. government, as well as most governments, is to be re-elected. And the best way to achieve that is to buy votes by bribing the people. But this has been a costly affair since the U.S. government has not been able to make ends meet since 1960. Thus, for almost 60 years, the U.S. government has spent more money than it has collected from taxpayers in order to buy votes. Once the newborn debtor comes of age, he will, of course, argue that he didn't incur the debts and liabilities, and therefore, he will refuse to pay them. It obviously doesn't matter if he refuses or not, as he is not in a position to even pay the interest on the liabilities. In addition to his inherited debts, debtor will during his lifetime continue to incur all the debts that every U.S. citizen does. These will include credit card debt as well as student, car, and mortgage loans. As the chart below shows, these debts have gone from just over $7 trillion in 2003 to almost $14 trillion today. During debtor's lifetime, total consumer loans will grow from $14 trillion today to hundreds of trillions. Debtor will, of course, have no ability to repay his loans and nor will any of his fellow U.S. citizens. Many debts are likely to be forgiven by the government. What most people don't understand is that their government can't just wave their magic wand and forgive or write, out, write off debts without consequences. Someone will always have to take the pain of making debts disappear, whether it is savers, pension funds, or other investors. On the other side of a debt is an asset which will decline in value proportionately to the debt. So when debts disappear, whether it is by defaults or write-offs, there will simultaneous, simultaneously be an implosion of asset values. The U.S. is dead broke. The U.S. government, as well as many other governments, have for over half a century bribed the people with Social Security, welfare, and medical care at the expense of future generations. Debtors' parents or their fellow Americans never understood that the country couldn't actually afford the standard of living that it was providing. The common belief in all Western economies today is that the government will always take care of you. No citizen ever asks, where is the money coming from? So I'm just going to kind of skip a little bit forward because we're coming up on the last, the last break before the quarter hour. Uh, so what is the solution? Well, there isn't any. The U.S., together with many countries in the world, is leading its people to perdition. This will include massive debt defaults and a deflationary implosion of most asset value. So we'll come back to that after the break. And I'm also going to give you a quick tax lesson. I brought some interesting forms that we can go over, and I want to educate you guys like I always try to do. Stay tuned to Business Buzz. This is Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'll be right back. Young Diamonds. 
This is Ken Ham, author, speaker, and blogger on science and the Bible's reliability. Diamonds are thought to be one of the oldest substances on Earth, and they are, but they aren't billions of years old. They're formed in creation rocks, so they're only about 6,000 years old. Now, you've probably heard of carbon-14. Often used as a dating method, it can only last for tens of thousands of years. After that amount of time, it will have completely decayed. But researchers have found carbon-14 in diamonds. Now, follow me here. If they're really billions of years old, there shouldn't be any carbon-14 left. But there is, and they're too hard to have been contaminated. They're not just beautiful, they point to the truth of the Bible's history. Got questions about the flood, geology, and more? Visit our faith-affirming website at AnswersRadio.com. You'll be equipped and encouraged at AnswersRadio.com. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from silent. Get back on your treatment plan or talk with your doctor to create a plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. Everything's changed. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Business Buzz. This is Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I was finishing up this article called The U.S. is Dead Broke. It says, what is the solution? Well, there isn't any. But before that, governments will separately try to save their economies by printing unlimited amounts of worthless money. This will, of course, not save the economy, but instead lead to hyperinflation and collapsing currencies. As a side note, don't forget I've been telling you about Venezuela where one ounce of silver would probably buy food for your family for a month or two, but I don't think anybody has any. What will happen to debtor who is unlucky to be who was unlucky to be born at the top of the biggest economic bubble in global history? The good thing for debtor is that all his debts together with the country's debts will disappear in a black hole so will also his savings and investments, but he is unlikely to have any. So debtor will have a tough start in life. Hopefully during his 88 years, he will have a chance to rebuild his finances. Just imagine if his parents had just a little bit of foresight and gave him some gold. Even a small amount would make a very significant difference to his life. So that's the summary of that article. And like I say, these aren't negative articles, they're positive because I'm telling you that it's not too late for you to cover yourself and make sure you have some sort of insurance for the coming collapse of the paper money. It's coming. Nobody knows exactly when, but it's coming. So I promised you a tax lesson. I do tax year-round. People are on an extension at my office. We have extension returns. We have business returns. So... Taxes are year-round for me. They may not be for you, but it's always a good idea to plan ahead for future taxes, and summer's as good a time as any. So what I wanted to do today was just to... I I basically just brought a copy of a 1040 and an itemized deduction Schedule A, and I just wanted to run through, just for a few minutes here, uh, some of the basics of what 
you need to think about. Now, here's the thing. The Form 1040, the first section is the income section. Now, unfortunately, that's the part where you have to list what you've earned. And remember, the overriding rule for the U.S. tax code is any accession to wealth, in other words, any income of any kind that you have, unless the tax code says it's not taxable, it's taxable. That means that you need to figure out if there's a way you can take some of your taxable income and somehow make it the type that isn't taxed, of which there are some of those in the tax code. Of course, we don't have time today to go through all the details, and that would probably bore you to tears and start you on a, on a nap today. But I just want to let you know the first page, the income section, you have to pretty much list your income. One good thing is the Social Security benefits, which have a line of their own. Now, I'm looking at the 2017 tax form. They've kind of done a little bit of a sleight of hand. And the 2018, the tax form itself has less lines, but there's just more lines on backup sheets you'll have to do. It didn't simplify it that much, but I'll explain the things that, that you need to know. So one nice thing is Social Security benefits on line 20A, there are times when none of your Social Security benefits are taxable. And that number depends on what your other income looks like. It's too complicated to try to explain verbally on a show like this. Suffice it to say that if you don't have a lot of other income, you probably won't pay much tax on your Social Security and maybe zero at all. That's the general rule. But if you have other income at the same time you're earning Social Security, then up to 85% of your Social Security gross can be forced to be listed as part of your taxable income. The main thing to remember about that Form 1040 is the income section is at the start, but there's two real good sections after that. Uh, one is called the adjustment section, which is at the bottom of the 1040. And the other one is the deduction section, which is the top of page two of 1040. So like I say, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but I did want to just kind of guide you through the 1040 form so you kind of understand a little bit more about your taxes. Now on the bottom of the front page, these are the good deductions because they get to take things off right on the front page. Everything you can take off on the front page lowers the number at the bottom of the front page, which is called adjusted gross income. And there's tons of things that happen on your tax calculation that get affected and usually negatively affected by a large adjusted gross income. So the more deductions you can get on the front page, the better off you are. We're going to talk about second page deductions in a minute, but the best deductions are the ones that occur on the front page so they go into the calculation of that adjusted gross income, which is a very important figure for a lot of different calculations. And the main things on the front page are teachers get a $250 expense for classroom supplies. That's not a large dollar amount, but it's kind of nice. That goes on the front page. If you're self-employed, you get to deduct your health insurance premiums on the front page. If you put money in an IRA, you get to deduct those on the front page. Let's see what else. Oh, health savings accounts. Those are real handy. If you can qualify for a health savings account, you can turn all your most of your medical expenses into deductible amounts. 
And the big one on the front page is the IRA, IRA deduction. If you are able to put uh, 5500 a year into your IRA, or if you're over age 50, 6500 a year, you get to take that right off of the front page. It's a real good, uh, real good spot to reduce your taxes with. So, so the front page lists your income, then it lists what's called adjustments to income. Now, the second page, the main player on that that we're going to talk about today is the called itemized deductions. Here's the catch. The 2018 law just raised what's called the standard deduction. So the way itemized deductions work is you get to list what they allow you to list on this page, which is medical, taxes, interest, charitable contributions, job-related expenses, and those are the main sections. Now, the job-related expenses are gone as of 2018, so I won't talk about those. But the big ones on these on this page is usually the home mortgage interest, property taxes, income tax withheld on your W-2, and charities. Here's the catch. In the 2017 and prior, you list those, and if those come up higher than the standard deduction, you use your total. The 2018 tax law has made the standard deductions a lot higher. So there's a lot of people that won't even need to use that itemized deduction page in the future as far as 2018 and forward. Uh, Because the standard deduction now for a single person is $12,000 and for a married couple it's $24,000. So if you've been falling below that lately, you might still have used the itemized deductions in 2017 but you might not be using them in 2018. So I just wanted to give you a little bit of that overview of the actual tax return because uh, you need to understand what's there and, and how it affects you. But the main thing is you have to list your income and then you need to find all the legal ways to reduce that number. And the best way is on the front page. And the second best way is on the back page, which is called itemized deductions. And again, if you need any help with taxes, I offer a free consultation. My number is 895-3353. You can call me anytime. If I'm not there, you can leave a message. I'll get back to you, and we can we can talk. You might have tax issues. You might have questions. You might not have any now, but you might have something coming up. You might be selling a, selling a house or something, and you need to know some answers. I'm the person you can call. And I said, I've said before, there's lots of good tax professionals in Chico, but I'm one of them, and I'm available with a free consultation. So if you need help, give me a call, 895-3353. Well, I've only got a few minutes left. It's been another very, very fun day for me. I hope you've had a good day being hopefully entertained and educated a little bit. And anything scary in my articles about pensions and debts and Tesla's remember that's a positive because I'm I'm giving you forewarning when things happen you need to be prepared so when things do happen what would be better than to be able to just pretty much take care of all your problems automatically just by simply shifting your your style of thinking my upcoming book miracle business method helps you do that. 
What I'd like to share with you today, just for the last couple minutes here, is lesson five from the workbook in A Course in Miracles. This isn't my book, but this does play a part in shaping my book that I've written, and I use a lot of these theories with that. And this one is particularly helpful whenever you get feeling bad, uh, anxious, uptight, a new problem pops up like I was explaining last week. They always do. Uh, The purpose of the world is to give you problems. Lesson five in the workbook is titled, I am never upset for the reason I think. I'm just going to read this lesson. This idea can be used with any person, situation, or event you think is causing you pain. Apply it specifically to whatever you believe is the cause of your upset, using the description of the feeling in whatever term seems accurate to you. The upset may seem to be fear, worry, depression, anxiety, anger, hatred, jealousy, or any number of forms, all of which will be perceived as different. This is not true. However, until you learn that form does not matter, each form becomes a proper subject for the exercises for the day. Applying the same idea to each of them separately is the first step in ultimately recognizing they are all the same. When using the idea for today for a specific perceived cause of an upset in any form, use both the name of the form in which you see the upset and the cause which you ascribe to it. For example, I am not angry at blank for the reason I think. I am not afraid of blank for the reason I think. But again, this should not be substituted for practice periods in which you first search your mind for sources of upset in which you believe, and forms of upset which you think result. In these exercises, more than in the preceding ones, you may find it hard to be indiscriminate and to avoid giving greater weight to some subjects than to others. It might help to proceed the exercises with the statement, There are no small upsets. They are all equally disturbing to my peace of mind. Then examine your mind for whatever is distressing you, regardless of how much or how little you think it is doing so. You may also find yourself less willing to apply today's idea to some perceived sources of upset than to others. If this occurs, think first of this. I cannot keep this form of upset and let the others go. For the purposes of these exercises, then, I will regard them all as the same. Then search your mind for no more than a minute or so, and try to identify a number of different forms of upset that are disturbing you, regardless of the relative importance you may give them. Apply the idea for today to each of them, using the name of both the source of the upset as you perceive it, and of the feeling as you experience it. Further examples are, I am not worried about blank for the reason I think. I am not depressed about blank for the reason I think. So these are exercises that you can just do for like a minute whenever you uh, have something that that gets you up tight. Now, expanding on this a little bit, and like I say, give this a try and it might make you feel better. Lesson six is called, I am upset because I see something that is not there. The exercises with this idea are very similar to the preceding ones. Again, it is necessary to name both the form of upset, anger, fear, worry, depression, and so on, 
and the perceived source vary specifically for any application of the idea. For example, I am angry at blank because I see something that is not there. I am worried about blank because I see something that is not there. Today's idea is useful for application to anything that seems to upset you and can profitably be used throughout the day for that purpose. Again, if you resist applying the idea to some upsetting thoughts more than to others, remind yourself that there are no small upsets. They are all equally disturbing to my peace of mind. And I cannot keep this form of upset and let the others go. For the purposes of these exercises, then, I will regard them all as the same. Well, that's it for Business Buzz today, but if you feel something happens to you today that gets you upset, just say, I am upset because I see something that is not there, and see if that makes you feel better. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. Thanks for listening to Business Buzz. I'll be back next time. Take care. KKXX, Paradise, K280GL. Breaking news this hour from townhall.com. I'm Keith Peters. 
A contentious Senate Foreign Relations Committee meeting today with Secretary of State Mike Pompeo facing exchanges like this from New Jersey Senator Bob Menendez. Senator, I understand the game that you're playing. No, no, you know, Mr. Secretary, uh, with all due respect, I don't appreciate you characterizing my questions. My questions is to get to the truth. We don't know what the truth is. Pompeo did say that President Trump was very firm with Russia during the Helsinki summit. The president was very clear with Vladimir Putin about U.S. positions. They're the U.S. positions that are the Trump. Trump administration's positions, and he spoke about them very firmly and clearly when he met with Vladimir Putin. Pompeo also said that President Trump put Putin on notice not to interfere in U.S. elections and that the Trump administration will never recognize Russian annexation of Crimea. President Trump says he wants a fair trade deal from the European Union. The president and European Commission President Jean-Claude Juncker are trying to defuse tensions on trade. We are close uh, partners, allies, not enemies. The president has threatened to impose tariffs on auto imports, and the EU plans to retaliate. Over the years, the United States 